The Moten Mailbag is brought to you by the Robert Russo Moten Museum, located in Farmville, Virginia. The Moten Museum is a civil rights museum focusing on the history of Prince Edward County between 1951 and 1964. I'm Kanan, and this is the Moten Mailbag. Season 2, Episode 6. I'm Irene. And I'm Leah. Alright guys, are you ready for our Thanksgiving question for this mailbag? What is your favorite Thanksgiving food? Easy. Mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. There's a hierarchy <laughs> of mac and cheese. There's, there's I've had the deep dish <laughs> mac and cheese like last week. Mac and cheese is not a Thanksgiving food. It is food. a Thanksgiving Sorry. food. It's a Thanksgiving for side. For me, it's a, it's a gathering food, which Thanksgiving's a family gathering. So yeah. Mac and cheese. It's, I, let's, a Thanksgiving side. Yes, technically, you can And can't, a side is a food. You can't eat turkey. Like, you can eat turkey. Like, my whole, like, I could poke a hole in, like, turkey, which is the obvious answer. But, like, you know, the holidays associated with turkey. Do you only eat turkey at Thanksgiving or during the holidays? Yeah. Really? Only at Thanksgiving, Christmas. Mm. Okay, so that makes sense to me that. Well, first, I don't know how to cook it. So. It is a whole. The only time is getting cooked. Quite literally. Yeah. Because it's a bird. My mother. My grandmother. Yeah. So, like, Air Family sporadically will have just dry bird. I'm like, why, why is this happening? But you guys, for me, my favorite Thanksgiving food definitely is sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, could be candied yams, which is not the right, I mean, they're not yams, but here we are anyway. So that's how we refer to them. Sweet potato pie, always good. Yeah, it's a good go-to. But like fall foods are Thanksgiving foods, basically. Yeah. Like stuff that's associated with fall, like sweet potatoes and squash and gourds squash. and all that mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. turkey <laughs> and just brown leaves and stuff. It's the fall season in general. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like it's like weird, not quite comfort food, but just like associated with like family gathering ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Southern comfort. Yeah, here's what Thanksgiving looks like in like. Cause some people have a what, a, what is that here? It's like spaghetti or something. Like it's like some if you go up like west and like like midwest and like north, like there's like really spaghetti interesting. Spaghetti. It might have not been spaghetti. It was something that there's just like, huh? How does that end up on Thanksgiving? Um, but yeah, if you go. Well, another, regional differences. Yeah, that mm. could do a nice turkey chili if you lived in Texas. Turkey chili. But I feel like that's that's Black Friday food, not Thanksgiving. Huh? Yeah. The day oh, after yeah, we yeah cross, you take the leftovers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, we got this. We got to eat it so mm-hmm. what are we gonna do well turkey's too dry to remix a lot like there's not a lot you can do like you do the sandwich but that's because you got like mayo or whatever on it yeah do you soup gravy i mean you soup. Can, yeah you soup you just turkey you know, noodle soup just dip it in the mm-hmm. you know so broth good. yeah but like you can't really do a lot with the turkey have you ever had fried turkey no there was an attempt we okay. thought about it but then mom's mm-hmm. like you'll set the house on fire mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're not wrong that's dangerous so many houses were burned it's dangerous i've been told it was good i just never i mean i feel like it'd be good in you like Bojangle. Well, I, I mean, I guess technically that logic checks out, but <laughs> mean I'm still not curious. Because uh, <laughs> I wonder how the seasonings would be impacted by mm. said mm. Well, that said, mm. don't think there's going to be any more seamless of a transition into talking about protest. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into it then. All right, I guess I'm asking question number one, which today is, and Leah, correct me if I, I might have miswrote this, but... 
how, uh, basically, how do you successfully plan a protest? Yep, that's the question. All right, so my answer was, well, first of all, you go through the proper protocols to do what you need done. So you check all the boxes of you, you contact your representatives, you say this is the issue we have, and once, like, nothing happens, that's when the civil disobedience, the protests show up. Um, and then it's the case of where, if you're having a protest, you contact the town or the county that you're in to ask what the protocol is to do that. So you following all the rules, all the rhetoric. So nobody can say, well, you just showed up and did X, Y, and Z. Like, no, mm-hmm. we have permits to do these things. The paper trail. Exactly, that's a paper trail because you're permitted to protest. Kind of part of your rights. To say, like, this is an issue we have to bring awareness to it. Mm-hmm. So follow the process, see what happens. Yeah, and I think, like, going along with deciding that you want to plan a protest, I think you really have to be careful about deciding which issues are a top priority. Because mm-hmm. once you start protesting about A, and then you protest about B and C and D and E and F and G, and you know people look at you and say, oh, well, they just protest about everything. They don't like anything, yeah. and they're just complaining. You have to be really strategic about what you want to protest for and what you want to accomplish. Because if you just protest for everything, then you won't get anything done. And then, like going off of that, knowing your community and who is in by the issues that you are mm-hmm. protesting. Yeah. Having that their voice is part of it. Yeah. It's one thing mm-hmm. to just say, I'm gonna do this by yourself. You do all the protocols, but you didn't ask anybody. Mm-hmm. To get any That's input, yeah. Like with the Black impacted. Lives Matter yeah. protests this summer. Yeah, it's like, how are you protesting because you want to just be loud? Or are you protesting because you have a purpose and mm-hmm. you want to amplify the voices of yes. those who are yeah. impacted? Mm-hmm. Like, what's your method and your motive? Yeah. Well, like Black Lives Matter is a good example of that. I mean, if you look back three or four years ago, I think people's main issue would be that if you could ask five people what Black Lives Matter meant, you would get five different answers. Mm-hmm. I certainly think that that messaging has certainly changed since then, or at least streamlined, um, to which kind of more concise, direct answers can be given, however. Um, but yeah, I think years ago, kind of, it was just kind of, people didn't get it, but like, you saw kind of out, you know, after kind of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, like the businesses and everybody who was tweeting and using the hashtag and really trying to say they support Black Lives and some backing it up, but saying that they support Black Lives and that Black Lives Matter, kind of how far the organization had come and how important messaging mm-hmm. is to the, right. to the cause, equally to the protests itself, if not more important. Mm-hmm. And like, like it's, it's not that comparable, but also comparable if I just think about the Green Book and how mm-hmm. it was used. Mm-hmm. Like this is a guide for African Americans or Black Americans don't go to these like go to these places where you're going to be safe mm-hmm. when you're traveling. So if it's a business and they say they believe Black Lives Matter, but they're not doing anything, or they're not yeah. hiring appropriately, or mm-hmm. they're not protecting those they have hired, mm-hmm. then their actions speak louder than their words. So why would you're not getting my money? Mm-hmm. That you know that kind of thing from the economic aspect of it. Yeah, protest is is just kind of a, a topic that of course is, is divisive, but it's look it's peacefully assembles in the First Amendment, right? Like yes. let's just throw it out there. It's a right that people who live in this country have. So kind of my train of thinking was first you need a cause and I specifically said a cause because similar to what Irene was saying, mm-hmm. like too many, too many, you know, irons in the fire, like focus on one thing, but your your agenda can evolve mm-hmm. as your platform evolves and as the issues evolve, right? And that's more that's more than okay. That's why the NAACP is still around. But they're fighting for, you know, it's okay to also have an umbrella cause, right? That right. may have other ideas that impact that. Like I think that that's kind of what the evolution of BLM has kind of been over the years. 
Um, so find your cause, but anybody who's faint of heart really should stop at this point because this protest is intense, you know, and, and it's scary and it's real. Um, it's not easy to plan an effective protest. You know, many protests are planned months and months, if not a mm, year or so yes. in advance, uh, which is significant timing. Um, you know, it's also important you realize, like, protest is essentially, in case of emergency, break glass, right? So what Leo was saying earlier, like, protest should never be a first resort. It's always a last resort. You only go to protest after you've exhausted all of your available resources. Mm-hmm. You contacted your legislators, you contacted the city, the town council, board of supervisors, whoever, right? Because you do all that because you checked all those boxes and protesting is, is the last resort. And protests should be the last resort because mm-hmm. protests have consequence. Absolutely. And I think, you know, of course, there's the super obvious examples like Martin Luther King Jr. and the attention that brought to him and, and Barbara Johns having to leave, you know, her, her county and her family home mm-hmm. to go live somewhere else for her own safety. But, you know, you become a target, like whether you want to, whether you mean to or not, like by pu- publicly demonstrating, you are becoming a target to everybody who does not support you because you are endorsing something. And that means that you are going against what somebody else thinks or what somebody else right. believes which is going to put you at some risk. Now, some of that's going to be overt, some of that's going to be covert, but either way, you're exposing yourself to that. You know, So that's why it's really kind of a desperation measure. Like, listen, nobody's listening to us to act. Nothing's changing. We have to protest. Otherwise, nobody's going to listen to us. That's the purpose of it. So just be mindful that if you're going to do that, that like these are the risks that, that, that come with yeah. it. And it's mm-hmm. not for the faint of heart. It's not for everybody. Um, and also... If you can't protest or you don't want to protest, that's okay. Yes. Like everybody yes. doesn't have to be, you know, at, at, in the diners, you know, sitting doing the sit-ins, right? In the '60s protests in Prince Edward County, there were, you know, younger kids. Obviously, they don't want younger kids being potentially attacked by police officers or, or counter-protesters or whatever, right? Like, so they stayed in the church and they wrote the signs. Um, and they made the lunches for the actual people who were out there picketing. You know, for the older, you know, students uh, who were protesting, if you didn't want to be involved, hey, you got a car, you can run transportation. Like, there are other ways you can be involved in a protest in kind of civil disobedience without necessarily being out there on the front lines. And your contribution can be just as important. And sort of thinking about, you know, alternative ways to protest without, you know, being on the front line, holding up a sign, marching, you know. I mean, sort of like what Leah said, you know, choosing to only patron businesses that support the cause that you believe in and who actively show that they support those causes and you know sort of cutting communication with people who don't support those causes that you believe in you know friends or you know you hate to see it but sometimes even family members if they are blatantly just disrespecting you as a human being then you know you can you can protest by not talking to those people there there are a lot of different ways to protest Mm -hmm. great yeah yeah, and because I remember with all the protests that happened this year, I'm like, all right, I should go. Then the next time, all right, what's your plan for when mm-hmm. I don't have a plan? So sit back down. Especially with COVID. Yeah. And, you know, everything. Because yeah. you always want to plan ahead. There's going to be consequences, but you don't know what they are until it happens. So just be mindful. All right. On to the next one. Yeah. Second question. How do we get our schools to teach this history? This history, we think, refers to Moton or civil rights. How do we? Yes. Sometimes how did we? Okay. So, but my question still applies because it's going to be we haven't. Oh, it is how did we. Either way. Uh, okay. It happened. Well, Carry on. it hasn't happened enough yet. So here in the Agreed. Commonwealth of Virginia, it, and by it, I mean the Moton School story history kind of broadly, even if it's just Barbara Johns or Student Strike mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. just talk about school closes a little bit. Currently, Virginia studies, uh, U.S. history in the middle school level, which is either seventh or eighth grade, depending on where you're at, and then U.S. history, Virginia and U.S. history at the high school level, which is typically 11th grade. Now, outside of the Commonwealth of Virginia, most people don't even know 
mm-hmm. Farmville, Prince Edward County. I mean, it might continue the capital, but probably you know of the state, but like not usually, right? So we have to work a lot harder in those areas. Now, I will give kind of put an asterisk next to like Topeka, Kansas, Wilmington, Delaware, mm-hmm. Washington D.C., and Clarence, South Carolina, because those also had cases mm-hmm. that were the Brown decision. So they probably talk a little bit more about it than than other areas, but. Um, the amount of people whose jaws hit the floor when we tell them the stories, it's its incredible. I mean, even me growing up here, like, I didn't grow up learning about this stuff. Exactly, um, yeah. I only really had a gateway into it because my dad was a product of it, of the school's closing. But I didn't know that his aunts, my great aunts, and his grandfather were plaintiffs in Brown v. Board. Like, I didn't learn that until I was in college. So, like, learning about this here, like, it's kind of a, I mean, looking through a window of, like, why well, don't know anybody else know this? Like, I, I keep giving this example, but, like, we had the 50th you know, anniversary of the class of 1967 for a long, but a couple of years ago, 2017. And, you know, they were here when Kennedy was here and when Martin Luther King was here, some of them, and when the free schools opened and all this stuff, Supreme Court cases, and they had no idea. This is the first time most of them had heard it coming out of my mouth, a person who was a lot younger than them. And they were like, all this happened while I was right down the road? I was like, yeah. But, you know, but it was intentional that you didn't find out, mm-hmm. though. So I hope you don't feel terrible because, like, the powers that be were making sure you didn't know because they didn't want you to be involved. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is a lot of people. And even to this day, there's a lot of folks who don't know. I have found in the past probably 10, 15 years it's gotten better in terms mm-hmm. of kind of K-12 here. But it's going to be a while before we can get uh, – well, that's not actually a question. You said, how can we? <laughs> you said, how can we? What's not, the method? Not, not, is it? Yeah. I guess a big part is, and a lot of this was, as you know, when people have taken more interest in black history, civil rights history, African-American, you know, diverse mm-hmm. stories, um, this is, comes up. Just, just adv- I mean, the key is advocacy, right? I think right. in your department meetings, it's, it's bringing in folks, you know, shameless blood, but bringing in folks to the Milton Museum, mm-hmm. seeing us do a decent job, and then they're like, oh, I didn't know this. Like, well, now you do, so either bring us back or let's do some professional development, mm-hmm. you know, to increase your curriculum knowledge, you know, advocate at the state level, you know, here in Virginia. We only got Barbara Johns and Milton School Story added to the SOLs because of our advocacy efforts. Um, because the platform kind of for this history has increased, um, find find allies. You know, find allies. We've got allies all over the state who are very strong supporters of our institution and really invested in teaching this history, and, and creating kind of projects to to get that message across. So advocacy is the is the one word answer to that would be. But um, mm-hmm. there are a lot of different ways, and you know, you've got our email address info at mm-hmm. If you want more resources, you can yeah. gladly reach out to us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's my my answer in a nutshell. What do y'all thought? I would say. Coming from a school that, you know, the only time that we learned about this was in AP Gov when we were talking about talking about the Brown cases and it was like, oh yeah, you know, one of the five cases happened to be here, you know, Davis versus Prince Edward County. And then we moved on. Oh. And then we talked about the product of Brown, you know, desegregation, working towards integration, and then we just sort of moved on down the line of civil rights. We didn't talk about the history that was quite literally five minutes away from our school and I think a lot of it comes from just the willingness to be uncomfortable yeah because it is it can be an uncomfortable story it's a lot to unpack and I understand that for a lot of the families that I went to school with they maybe weren't on the right side of history you know sort of looking back on it but looking at it now in today's perspective it already happened what can we do to move forward and make sure it doesn't happen again you know how we can start working to be better you know it's gonna be uncomfortable for a lot of people and we just have to get used to that we have to say I am comfortable being uncomfortable comfortable yeah and it's 
easier said than done by all means but you know it, it comes from that first step of just saying I'm gonna reach out I didn't want to hop in the soapbox but here it is here I am again I can't I can't stop myself from stepping up here <laughs> just the notion just of being comfortable I'm just like some people just never get yeah. that yeah like, the privilege of being comfortable history not once all history <laughs> we learn about the American Revolution yeah. well guess what if you ask a, a British person it probably didn't go to even most Americans probably it probably wasn't a yeah. fun pleasant mm-hmm. experience the French and Indian War guess what if you ask the French if you ask the Indians I'm sure you're going to get some bad stories in there how about, you know, 1619 to 1865? I'm sure there's a large group of people who did not have a good experience during any of that so. time yes. period, just yes. about, right? So, like, this notion of, like, hard history. All history is hard. Mm-hmm. Like, and Great Depression, like, if you were making, if mm-hmm. you were middle class in Great Depression, yeah, like, you might have had a financial drop-off, but what if you were already broke? Like, mm-hmm. then you have even less. Like, it just, like, all history is hard. Mm-hmm. So, we just have to deal with it head-on, like, and just, yeah, I will say this until I'm red in the face. Like the notion that like you like you can't criticize something like and still have value for it. like yeah. we can criticize actions we can criticize yeah. stances we can criticize but it doesn't mean I don't want to be here because I'm trying to hold the nation accountable to its mm-hmm. ideals so let me do that right I don't hate it mm-hmm. it's just I want you to say all men are created equal I want you to mean it like yeah. all men are mm-hmm. created equal mankind all people right we the people we the people mm-hmm. who all are who are we mm-hmm. right like respect your neighbors all that stuff like just notion of hard history just always oh, just like oh it's always hard like you're just not talking you're just not mm-hmm. telling the whole story if right. it's easy right yeah. I mean to piggyback piggyback off that holistic history that's a lot of people that mm-hmm. you yeah. can discuss mm-hmm. and talk about so incorporating the Moten story and the Virginia SOLs is a start. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're building an online like website portal for primary sources and lesson plans. It's a start. So it's like, look, we see the gap. We're going to bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. And then once you know better, you do better. Right. So yeah. once you have this history, you sit with it and mm-hmm. you deal with it because that's part of being an American. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Black History Month, like it's only one month, but Black History is throughout it's, the American yeah. story. That yeah. is the American story. Holistic. So it's you need to like having people prioritize mm-hmm. a holistic American history, not a hoorah, hoorah, not real, right. fake, mm-hmm. imagine, imaginary. Romanticized. Like we're always the best. Yeah, right. romantic version. Yeah. Versus the reality of what the U.S. The good and the bad. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. all mixed into one. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, one thing I always try to remind myself, it's it's a privilege to learn about something right. instead yeah. of having to have to experience it. Right. You know, so take that privilege and do something useful with it. Learn about it and do better with it. It's like, like history responsibly. It's, doing yeah, yeah, doing history responsibly. History responsibly. Mm. Yeah, I'm not stepping back up, so I'm going <laughs> to let this one peter out. All right, well, I think I have the next question. So are there any folks who lived the history who are still alive? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Kanan, you, you briefly touched on it. Your parents being being a product. Yeah, my dad will be 68 next year. And he was kind of on the younger end of the spectrum of mm-hmm. those who are locked out of schools. So he was going to start the first grade. Um, the older end of those who are locked out of schools is probably about 78, give or take. So mm-hmm. that's been those who are going through their senior year when school's closed. And then the student strikers, you know, on the young end, 82 probably is the youngest, 81 maybe. Mm-hmm. And then the eldest, and he and he left high school to do like some military service and then came back. But he, he'll be about 90, maybe even 91 wow. this year. So, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them. And I think that really just goes to show how recent this history is, mm-hmm. right? I think yeah. when, 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 when young people especially, they just have, bless their hearts, they have no concept for age, mm-hmm. yeah. no concept for any of that stuff, and it's just the it's the funniest experience 
work with Mr. Bob Hamlin in yeah. particular, one of our, our best docent we have here at the museum. And then this kid comes up and asks, you know, how old are you? And then Mr. Hamlin's like, how old do you think I am? He's like, 50. And Mr. Hamlin's like, thank you. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, how old am I? He's like, I'm 45. I'm like, oh, okay, well, we're only five years apart. Like, right? Like, I guess I'm not doing too well. Mr. Hamlin's doing great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just goes to show really, you know, how recent this history mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Like, we've only had desegregated schools in Virginia for 60, 61 years, which is not a long time. I'm mm-hmm. sure many of our parents and all of our grandparents, if we still have those, you know, their lifespans, right? 61 mm-hmm. years, that's not a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this history is fresh and a lot of, and luckily for us, we get to walk side by side with these folks and they're some of our biggest supporters here mm-hmm. at the yeah. museum. Like, as a historian, it's really weird to be active with like living people yeah. telling their story, like being engaged with living history. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, I can just call you up and you can tell me what I need to know because mm-hmm. versus me hunting in an archive for a document, I just call Miss Joan or Miss Joy, like, okay, I have a question. It's the accessibility is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just like, like other museums, like, oh yeah, the descendants. And they're like, what do, what do y'all do with your descendants? I'm like, nothing. We still have. We still have we get the originals. Their mm-hmm. ancestors? I guess we deal with the ancestors. Is that what we say? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's what people say, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. We deal with the people. Like, but, you know, hmm. interact yeah. with the people, rather. Yeah, yeah it's, it's their history. Exactly. They're still here. This question wasn't planned but I want to bring it up anyway. How do you deal with the comfortability of asking these people to sort of relive the trauma of the history that they experienced? Oh yeah, always you ask, are they willing to share? They say no, all right, thank you, that's it. And Mm -hmm. end of the conversation. Yeah, my my prep is a little bit different just because I'm here and like I can, like for me it's like, oh yeah, Townsend's, Meharan, like you went to school with my, like I know a lot of these people went to school with my great aunts or knew my great grandfather or know my dad. Mm -hmm. Like he was locked out of school with them. So like there's that immediate like Mm -hmm. street cred for lack of a better way mm-hmm. to put it mm-hmm. and so like for me it's just like you know, instantly walls are you know guards are down mm-hmm. and then I'm, I'm with this multi-layers right yeah. so like when we're at the museum one layer goes down from here one layer goes down those rip my people you know there's a third wall down right like and not to say that they can't be dropped in other ways Leah mm-hmm. does a really good job at disarming because uh, <laughs> she's very authentic and, and, and genuine and that you have to go in with that yes. and, and, and humble Right, because um, if they're not, you know, if, if they feel like you're trying to come to Prince Edward or do whatever and make money or make yeah. clout off of the back of their name and their trauma, you know, they're gonna smell that out from from a mile away. So it's really just about that humility and that and that grace and, and understanding that this is traumatic and mm-hmm. to be, mm-hmm. you know, very thankful of them for being willing to share that yes. trauma with you. But at the same time, too, you know, the ones who don't want to talk about it ain't, right? Like, and there's most mm-hmm. of the people who experience this, Facts. they're not never going to talk about it. We've got a, a solid group of people who are talking about it constantly and and, and honestly, the first couple of times from, from my perspective, hearing mm-hmm. from them, it's difficult, right? You know, and, and occasionally they still might get teary-eyed, but at this point, people have gotten so comfortable talking about mm-hmm. it, we talk about it, they can pretty much do it like, like that, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. Which is such an awesome resource for students, you know, especially Mm, these history day projects that we get five, six, seven, eight requests for per year. You're like, do you know any of the strikers? I'm like, yeah, I got five, six, seven of them. You know, you take your pick, right? Like, it's just like it's just (laughs) awesome. Like, you can talk to you know the sister of Barbara Johns Mm -hmm. who was there, who protested with them, who walked out of this building, who's a plaintiff in Brownsville Board of Education, right? Like, you could talk to Reverend Williams, Reverend J. Samuel Williams, who was here for the strike, a senior, left to go to college, came back, mentored this next generation of students mm-hmm. who are protesting mm-hmm. like that's just not something you experience in a lot of places and it's just an amazing and a very humbling experience to be able to work here and side by side with these folks and continue to tell and tell and preserve the story yeah I just you're just like sitting like god 
that is a lot we do. But then it's like, it's a lot that people are willing to share with us, to share mm-hmm. with students. It reinforces the importance of the telling the story and having it incorporated in schools. So they're, they're not surprised. Yeah. Well, like, as a side, like, just, okay, we're going down the rabbit hole. We're going down. So, like, <laughs> we're committed. You know, I, I really try to help these students to understand that you are asking an 82-year-old woman or man to recall events from a day which happened almost 70 years ago mm-hmm. when they were 12 years old. Like, mm-hmm. so I need you to think critically about the types of questions that you're asking mm-hmm. because just asking them what happened that day is something that you could Google. Like, yeah. you could look that up. You could ask me that. I could tell you that. You come here and watch the strike film. Mm-hmm. That'll tell you what happened. You need to come up with a little bit more creative ways mm-hmm. to engage these individuals who have heard these questions time and time and time again. And I don't blame the interview for words because there's damn no reason to know that, right? To mm-hmm. them, they're the first person who's ever interviewed this person. Yeah. But they're still like, they're humans. They're three-dimensional beings. They're like did not just happen that one day they did other things so ask follow-up questions you know some probing questions potentially but if they're comfortable with with answering those type of questions Mm -hmm. you know what type of music did you listen to back then and what was the fashion and Mm -hmm. you you mentioned going to church what was that like back during this time what's the difference between going to church then and going to church now you know just critically thinking about it because if you know just asking what happened that day oh a barber stood on stage she banged her you know shoe like a gavel and we walked out okay good interview like you Mm -hmm. can find that out anywhere (laughs) yeah like these are humans and it's really trying to and I've tried to be better about that too and just working with them there's ways I can get different answers out of them just from knowing them as well as we do but um, yeah trying to get people to be like look like this is one day mm-hmm. 70 years ago they were 12 like yeah. I cannot remember what I ate for dinner last night like we need to think a little bit more expansive about the nature of these questions yeah, and we all had to pause and think. Like, what did I have? Do I remember? Like, yeah, like it's hard. Like, memory and memory is one of the most least. It's one of the least reliable sources yeah. of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyways, that's my my other kind of not soapbox. That's more like a. I mean, that's just a good interview technique. Smaller than soapbox. A washcloth. What did you say? A soap stool. Soap oh. stool. That's what? good. You're so that's stool. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Alliteration. That's good. That's yeah. good. Oh, that's not it. soap stool. It's not a box claim, but you know, <laughs> I really want uh, three-dimensional human beings who experience a whole life outside of they've had a whole career, they've like, yeah. had whole families. Mm-hmm. Where what did you do on this one day? This one time when you were twelve. And and then just like just for more context about what their experience was as a student. Yeah. Typically, students are asking these questions. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Oh, I like your music too." Yeah. But did you like, mm-hmm. like, being able to have a conversation about it? And then it's always like when it's, "I like that artist too." Wait a minute, and it's like the intergenerational. Mm-hmm. Well, and how did it shape your life? Like, did you get, did you get involved with the NAACP? You yeah. were you involved in any other? Oh, prime example: 65th anniversary. Or wait a minute, 65th anniversary of Brown v. Board last summer. Yes, 2019. Oh, 65, right? Yes, 65. Because it's 61 years since uh, school segregation. Mm-hmm. So, so we had a panel, and it was a very specifically designed, like a legacy panel. So we had individuals who were locked out of schools and their children. Mm. And the question was asked to the panelists, the, the locked out folks. It was, how did being, how do you think that being locked out of schools impacted your the way you parented your kids? And it Ooh. was just like, Ooh. whoa, right? Like that 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Powerful, powerful question. Because I know for me, and I use the example a lot, and I'll say it again, but like my dad, he, I, he made me go to summer school every year, even though I never failed a grade. I was at the point out, they're like, dang, Kane. I'm like, no, 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 I didn't fail. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, it was mandatory for me. And then out of the, I aged out of voluntary summer school, he created homework for me to do every summer. And I'm just like, why? But looking back, it made so much sense. Mm-hmm. But that's not something that, you know, fourth grade year old Sally would know to just ask, or probably should ask, right? At least not mm-hmm. intentionally to be both summer poor. But like those type of questions that actually make folks think mm-hmm. like those oh, those, yeah. are the, those are the best and the responses oh man I've got the video I can show y'all later but it was, oh, yeah, it was, it that. was mm-hmm. powerful powerful moment on stage in real time yeah cause like that's, that's a question I would think you have to sit with like four minutes just like alright where do I start oh yeah. and we had to sit in that like that, yeah. back to that comfortability piece yeah. like you can't escape mm-hmm. like this ain't no zoom you can't <laughs> mute the video we were right. sitting in the audience in real time watching a grown man mm-hmm three times over grown man, probably almost 80, break down into tears mm-hmm. and apologize to his son for the way that he, like, it was, oh, oh my God. Like, and that and that might be too strong of an example. I don't want to encourage our listeners to think of questions like that. But there are other, but that's the type mm-hmm. of question that's like, this is a question that no, these people have probably never, never. been asked. Mm-hmm. They probably have never made that connection. Like, yeah, and, and Miss Mosley was on that panel too with her oh, son. Yeah. And it, it was, oh, man, it was, and I was moderating, like almost crying. I was like, I'm not, I'm okay. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was just like, Sweating. don't look yes. at me. Look at, you know, look at them. I'm not the focus. Like, it was, oh, man, it was emotional. Yeah, wow. but you to, and you had to sit in that, yeah. like, that discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but that's your experience. I'll never, I'll never forget yeah, that, yeah. that that parent because of that question, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's just. I just derailed the pod, but it's mm-hmm. that powerful, and I can share it in the description of this too. If anybody's interested in mm-hmm. that, so yeah, it's on your YouTube page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it shares the humanity. Yeah. Like throughout my tours, every once in a while, I'll say, "These were children. Yeah. These, these look at these children's faces. Right. You know, let's keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like a blanket. The black children, like, right. like the other, like no, these, this is that's Joan. That's that's who that is. Like pointing out her image in the photo of the brown board well the davis plaintiffs we have right. in the gallery well that's why I, yeah i give names like i'm like yeah. this is this is this person this is jones she's still here this is this and such so that way like it really human like you can it's easy just to look at numbers and dates yes and like just think oh this is so long ago mm-hmm. this isn't that important like i can tell you and i literally said it's pretty much verbatim we're at 34 minutes but that's okay this might have to be a two-parter um, I literally get to visual names. I'm like, I could tell you 3,000 kids, over 3,000 kids were impacted by these schools closings, or I could show you how long it's going to take me to scroll through right. each and every one of these names mm-hmm. and just know that with each, every name, even if they were in the same house, had a different story. It doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. Different perspective, right. right? Maybe Billy was old enough for Boy Scouts, but Johnny wasn't, so Johnny had to stay home, right? So that's mm-hmm. a different experience. Maybe yeah. somebody sent the younger kids away and kept the older kids to work. Mm-hmm. That's a different experience. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, I was, I just graduated that summer of 59, and then I have four younger siblings those are totally different experiences mm-hmm. all around like yeah we need to humanize these stories as much as possible because it's very easy to look back and say oh this happened right like and i think our friends at the holocaust museum you know i, I took i take a lot of the insight i have on this from them mm-hmm. because their educator who's a good friend of mine is like you know don't just show pictures of, of, of dead bodies right mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. all right and then, then our explanation was you know essentially like like how dehumanizing is that to just see a pile of usually naked dead bodies yeah. in a pot like these are people right like the people who had jobs people who had lives people who had family like those are people so like don't show them in that capacity because mm-hmm. it completely and utterly dehumanizes them and so you lose that like you don't feel compassion for a pile of bodies right mm-hmm. you don't feel that compassion but you do 
by hearing their stories and in, the, in, in their lives. Mm-hmm. And, and it just it, a lot of that really resonated with me and mm-hmm. really yeah. kind of helped mold how I adapted my style yeah. here at Moe. Like, just the power of a voice and like, yeah. I don't know, um, I like to say I cut my baby historian teeth on Nazi Germany, which is a lot, but also yeah. that's mm-hmm. where I, it started. Yeah. And like having basically grow up at, at the Virginia Holocaust Museum, like, yeah. like mom, let's go on a field trip. And like yeah. she would take me and then, mm-hmm. cause she's an educator as well to have that experience. I remember Alex Liebenstein, who I love that man. When he passed away, I did not take it well. But like there was a book signing and he was like, oh, I remember you. I'm like, you remember me? Oh. Yes. You remember and it was just like, all right, calm down. I need you to calm mm-hmm. down. But yeah, it's people yeah. matters because they're people, mm-hmm. point blank, period. And like allowing the space to honor somebody's story right. is pivotal. It's vital. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what history really is. You study people and how it shaped everything else. I think I've already decided that this is going to be a two-parter, so I'm already here. So let's just go ahead and Let's learn. do it. Let's just drop in for a second. Like, you, this, this really reminds me of like how Leah and I both gave like Holocaust Nazi Germany examples. Like, why is it that some history like is objectively bad? Like, when we're in school, like I'm not, I don't want to speak for y'all's experiences. Like when I was in school, it's yeah. just like even though we're talking about wars and stuff, like like we were talking about revolutionary war, what didn't even sound like they didn't. Sound, I guess maybe it goes back to the romanticizing mm-hmm. it part, but like like oh, it was yeah. Boston Massacre, only one person died, but it was great because it inspired this, that, and the other. But like every time we talk about the like it's like oh it was really bad and they did really bad things. Like I feel like some history was just like oh yeah maybe just because we there wasn't us doing it like we were getting like and then America Boom. came and saved it like that's the whole <laughs> yeah. point. It but it's just like. Why were some stuff like, and oh, yeah, the Needham, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, and other parts like, yeah, and then there's that one thing, and then, you know, we have to for a bit. But it's okay, because we got rid of them. It's like, huh? And I think part of it is, like, a Eurocentric, white-centric, this is the history that's happening to us. We're going mm-hmm. to, I mean, let's be clear, colonization was going to go steal stuff and take mm-hmm. it back to Europe and make right. money. So they're like, oh, no, it's nice here. We're going to settle. And then, like, I think with Holocaust history, they knew what was happening, but they hadn't decided how to help or what they were going to do to help. But then, like, when the troops were on the ground, in the European theater and they liberated some camps. You want to know what's really traumatic? Hearing a Jewish man share his story about how he was at Buchenwald and he took the pictures. And I'm like, okay, Mr. Allen, thank you for sharing with me. I'm not... I'm just, okay, I'm just going to sit here with you and we're going to have this experience. Right. As he's flipping through his photos he took, he was an aviator. Oh. He passed away in February. Not a good day for me. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, and part of it is kind of the World War II glory as well. Like, right. have you ever heard a bad World War II story? Or then, like, like they survived it. It was great. And they were so stoic and strong. Well, the movies, it's just like, why do we keep making these war movies? Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe the World War One and World War Two movies aren't going to be, like, as mm-hmm. traumatic for younger people. But, like, imagine. Imagine, like, going through this awful thing and then, like, 40, 50 years later, like, how about we make a movie about... I'm just like, on one hand, like, in terms of, like, an art form, like, yeah, maybe that could be a great window into doing it, but, like... And then the day, like, people are doing it to make money. So, like, yeah. isn't that super insensitive? Like, I wouldn't want somebody to, worst day of my life, oh, let's make a whole movie about, like, that could have been the worst yeah. day or worst mm-hmm. week of, you know, something I'm, you know, PTSD or whatever about, like, yeah. Well, and so I think, you know, coming at this from the perspective of someone who is Jewish, who grew mm-hmm. up learning about Jewish culture, who grew up learning about the Holocaust, I think it's really easy as an American to look at it. And I don't want to use the word objectify, but you know, I guess to romanticize it, you know, Mm -hmm. at the time, most Americans did not have, you know, a stake in the game. It was, there was a lot of issues of, do we even get involved? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then finally Pearl Harbor was attacked and that was awful. And 
So we got involved in Asia and then we got involved in Europe. And But I think now it's, we didn't have a stake in the game, but then we finally did. And we came out as the victors, as the winners. And so here we in the saved, US- We saved the day, right? Yeah, like exactly. We saved it because we're American, we're you know, brave. Like, like the American savior complex, the white savior complex. Mm. But you know, I, growing up, you know, watching movies like The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, reading books mm. like Eli Wiesel's Night or mm. Number of the Stars and mm. you know even more recent movies um, I'm blanking on the name I was about a woman named Adele and she it was the painting the gold painting of her that was in the Austrian art museum and mm. it was taken from her family during the Holocaust by the Nazis and the Austrian government had been holding it mm. and so this woman Adele it was Adele was the woman in the picture and her niece wanted to have the rights to the picture back and you know watching that movie and about how this woman and her husband were able to escape europe but so much the family did not escape you know and other movies about how one of hitler's um, primary officers fled to Argentina and then mm -hmm. his son fell in love with a Jewish woman and mm -hmm. it just became well, this whole debacle and just like watching that happen it's you know I remember sitting there in the theater thinking okay wow and then trying to go back in my own family history and say okay this is when we left Eastern Europe but what about the cousins who didn't go mm -hmm. what about the uncles and the aunts you know, and thinking, okay, well, they were still in the Ukraine, they were still in Lithuania when this happened, and odds are they didn't make it out. And it's it's a lot of history to sit with, but when you don't have a stake in the game, it's easy to say, oh yeah, like, shooting guns, shooting Nazis, yeah, that's great. It's like, okay, well, maybe if you're not living through it. Right, it takes a full circle back to that perspective. Yeah. It all depends mm -hmm. on how you're looking at it, and it, it yeah, I, we need to do a better job collectively. Mm -hmm. um, history, social sciences, social studies, whatever, like, we have to be done better mm -hmm. we have to know that there are mm -hmm. different perspectives i mean perspectives of women for love of goodness like yeah. God, even yes. to this day like glass ceilings and pay discrimination and sexual violence and violence mm -hmm. in general like it's yeah. it's just like who's per like for, if you write it right the history books are run by the perspective of the winners i mean i think mm -hmm. that's yes. that sums it all up like and if well, you didn't win or some <laughs> depends some, where it's been written. oh yeah some, textbook you know true so, well, that's what we got those primary sources y'all yeah. depends those what you mean by win depends yeah. on what may have lost the battle but won the war oh my gosh mm -hmm. in a sense even though the war we even lost but, the war but <laughs> yeah Dr. Uh, Dr. Yeah. we still won the pride yeah Ooh. and that's <laughs> It, yeah, it's... Ugh. And then you get into intersectionality and... Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah. God, you know, and, so much. And I wonder if, like, for me, being interested in military history, but from the per like a personal perspective, mm -hmm. it's not the same as, like, let's learn about battle. Like, yeah, right. that's cool, but I don't want to waste time learning about maneuvers. Right. Mm -hmm. Who was there? Right. What the did humanity, they write? The yeah. humanity of the battle. Yeah, not battle tactics, but yeah. battle humanity. And just, also, like that's the thing I missed in all my history classes, even in college. Like that's mm -hmm. one thing. Like in college history, like I did learn like different perspectives on the history I learned, which you know, really showed me more of the truth of what actually mm, happened. Right. But I think what key was missing, like these are people. Mm -hmm. Like one day they're gonna be reading about us in textbooks, right? Mm -hmm. Like in twenty, or hopefully not textbooks, because. Mm -hmm. They are immediately outdated as soon as you print them, basically. But, um, you know, in 20-whatever, 50, 20-70, like, they're going to be learning about 
us and this time period and what we were doing. Um, not necessarily <laughs> the fact that we were humans and had last. I go to the grocery store. I might have to go to the grocery store to work, right? And I'm going to go home and cook dinner and live my life. Like, I, it's more than just one event. It's more than just, you know, one war or one yeah. conflict or, you know, more than just 9-11 or whatever. Like, we have so much oh, else yeah. going on and we need to realize that because we don't. We short sell. We short change. And we can really condense stuff that shouldn't really be it. Because then, like, going off of that, a person is their whole experience. Mm-hmm. They're not a blip on the screen. Right. So, like, thinking about 9-11, I remember where I was, the feelings I felt. And then, like, later on 9-11, I had a cousin in D.C. I had a cousin in mm. New York. So that was a rough day. Ooh. Just, like, just thinking, like, yeah. the what ifs. Right. Like, playing that up. But that was just one day and how yep. that, the reverberations, mm-hmm. you know, the ripple effect. So, history is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not where we plan to go. Yeah, I think we covered a lot of ground, though. A lot of really, really important ground. Yes, it's going to be split into two parts. Y'all may not know that when you download the first part or listen to the first part, but uh, yeah, we're at 46. So, so anything else from, from you all? Uh, no, I think that was good. I'm not, opposed, I'm not opposed to taking one last ride if y'all have anything else y'all want to get off the old noggin. No, but we should probably wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This has been season two, episode six of the Milk Mailbag. Make sure you send your questions. Email us info at milkmuseum.org or social media. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.